Welcome to the Kingdom Life Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Jamie Dixon. For more great content, visit klcmaine.com. Man, so powerful. Thanks, guys. <clears throat> For just a few minutes, I just want to share quickly just on the back of that, that testimony um, of what God has done in Robert's life. And I remind us that it says the testimony of Jesus of the spirit of prophecy he didn't just do it for one. He wants to do it for the multitudes. Amen? And uh, thank God for, for testimony because it gives us faith and understanding that he's ready to meet us right where we are. That he's not afraid of our situations or our messes. He's not afraid to show up in secret places when we think no one's listening. God wants to show up and he wants to set captives free. And um, I, I want to I wanna just really highlight this this portion of God setting captives free. You know, in the garden, it says that God made man. And when he made man, he made man in his image, in his likeness. And it shows us that God made man like with a dream in his heart, with a jealous love for man. He, he, made, he made you and I with this longing desire that there'd be no separation, there'd be no distance, that we would carry his likeness, that we would... Uh, be a home, that we would be a dwelling place, that we would be a bride, that we would be a family, that God would coexist, not just coexist around us, but that he would dwell in us day and night, night and day, that we would be created with the intention and the purpose of forever communing with God. And God, God makes man with his love and this longing in his heart. And he says, guys, there's just this one tree in the garden. I'm gonna plant you somewhere. And we are going to dwell together for eternity. And there's this one tree in the garden. He says, just don't eat it. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And Satan shows up in the garden in the form of a serpent. And he shows up. And remember, Satan doesn't just show up and go, he doesn't just say, look at how good it is. Man, do you guys realize how good life is when you know good and evil? He doesn't just like push this idea of the beauty of the tree and the goodness of the fruit. The way that he captures Adam and Eve's heart in the garden is he says, God said not to eat the tree because he knows if you eat the tree, then you will become like him. But the lie in that is this, is that they were already made like him. God in his wisdom, God in his longing, God in his love had already made man like himself. And the way that he created temptation to, to uh, rebel against the one commandment the Lord gave them is to lie about their lack. God said, don't eat it because you're not worthy. God said, don't eat it because you're lacking something. God said, don't eat it because you're incomplete. Do you guys realize you're incomplete? You'll never be enough. You'll never be good enough. You'll never be this. You'll never be that. You better try to go and run and grasp at something because you've got to find something that's going to fill the void of your lack. And the enemy sows a lie. And when, when we partner with a lie, it sows a seed of corruption that begins in our heart. And the seed of corruption is sown in at the very foundations of creation. And it wasn't just because sin is awesome. It's because we believe that we were not enough. And it was this lie that became the very foundational element and piece of all sinful corruption that would overwhelm mankind. And the thing about 
Sin begins in a lie, but the thing about sin and the, and the corruption is that it begins to erode and erode and erode and erode. Before you know it, we just don't even know who we are or where we've come from or who loves us anymore. And what we understand is that God made us from love, but it was the lie of our lack and the corruption of sin that waged war on love. And we have to understand that the sin, sometimes I think we, we wonder like why, why is sin such a big deal? We understand that sin was never the issue. Sin has never been the issue. This has always been an issue about love. This has always been an issue about God wanting to reveal his love to mankind and for us to know who we are in him. And so the enemy waged war on love by lying about who we were and sowing the seed of lack. All sin derives from the belief in the lie that we are incapable, unlovable, unworthy, lacking, vulnerable, insecure, too far gone, too broken, not good enough, no one wants us. All of these lies that are sown through the, the lies of the enemy that we come into agreement with undergirds a sinful passion and all sin is, is, is trying to grasp at something that's fruit that we're not supposed to eat, but grasping at fruit that is trying to fill the void of that lie. Thanks, man. But this whole thing was a war on our love. And so then what does it say? It says in John three sixteen, it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. This is always about love. And so God doesn't send his son in disappointment. God doesn't send his son in frustration. God doesn't send his uh, son because of your incapability or your lack. It says that for God so loved the world. How many of you know you don't love something that you don't value? And when the father sent his son on assignment of love, he immediately declared, because you're worth it, right? Because you are valuable, because I long for you, I will pay any price from the place of love to have you. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Jesus came on, a, on an assignment to deliver mankind and the whole thing was funded by the father's love. And the father sends his son into the midst of crisis and calamity and war over our lives in the midst of the, uh, of the attempt to uh, corrupt our DNA and identity right from the womb. The enemy has been waging war over the belief of who you are. The enemy from the moment you could breathe began a plot to completely undermine the truth of who God says that you are. 
an attempt to sow, sow a seed of lie, whether that came from our parents or our siblings or our family or the culture or our friends and our experiences to weave a story that says you are incapable, you are unlovable, you are unworthy. And if the enemy could go, get us to so believe that, that when the gospel came that says you are loved, there'd be such a work done inside of us that we say that cannot be true and we'd be resistant to it. This is what the war over our lives has always been about, has been about the war on our belief of his love. So God in love, God so provoked by jealousy for full access into our lives declares war. And the war is not, let me, let me, let me be really clear, the war is actually not on you. It's not even on sin. It's on the lie. And the Father declares a war on the lie of your lack. And in John 8, 36, Jesus said to the people around him, most assuredly I say to you that whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, then you are free indeed. Do you understand that when he came, he said, I'm not just setting you free from sin. I'm actually changing your identity because of your sinful nature. You have believed that you were a slave and you've lived as a slave. So understand this, I'm setting you free. Who the son sets free is free indeed. You are a son and you will abide in my house forever. Slaves live on the outside of this whole thing. I'm bringing you home. You're my son. I'm setting you free. Galatians 5.1 is for freedom that Christ says free. So stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. And so Jesus declares war on the lie. Jesus declares war on the prison of shame, guilt, and condemnation. And I want to read this. If you guys have your Bibles, you can go to Colossians chapter 2. Many of you guys have heard me share from this perspective before. But I want to share it again because it so plays into the assignment that Jesus came to set captives free. And in Colossians chapter two, verse 13, we're talking about the cross, that Jesus came. Guys, it's, it's the Christmas season, right? Jesus, the king of all kings, the Lord of all lords, the prince of the Jews. We understand that, that when he came, usually kings are born with a crowd, their birth is celebrated, and they're born in a home of splendor. But Jesus was none of these things. Jesus was a scandal who was born in a barn. And his life had no crowd, but it was, it was all in secrecy. And in the days that he was born, there was a, there was a warrant for his death over this child's life. The spirit of abortion immediately assigned itself to destroy the one who came to set captives free. To stop the plot of the enemy against you. And a warrant goes out for his death. Jesus, for the first 12 years of his life, has to leave his hometown and live as a refugee. He returns back, and when he returns back, and he begins his ministry in his later years of life, he returns back and he begins his ministry He's not celebrated. He continues to live as a scandal, hated, run out of towns. All going to his most glorious moment is not the glory of his life, it's the glory of his death. 
Most kings are born to live. This king was born to die. His crown was not made of gold. It was made of thorns. His robe was not made of crushed scarlet velvet. It was made of his own flesh and blood. His, 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 uh, his throne was not made of gold and glory. It was made of wood and shame. The crowds that gathered to his most glorious moment were not there to celebrate him, but there to spit, mock, and abuse and hurt him. This is our king. This is not a glorious, triumphal entry. This is a battlefield. And the war that he was waging in this moment was not on you, and it wasn't on sin. It was on the prisoner of your identity, the liar, the prince of lies, who had been sowing a story of accusation against your life. And he waged war, and he shed his own blood so that he could lead us in triumphal victory. And I know that we go, what a, what a, what a, a, a inglorious moment. But in Colossians chapter 12, it pulls the veil behind the whole thing. And at the moment of the cross, do you want to know what was happening in this moment? It says in, in Colossians chapter 2, verse 11, In him you were circumcised with circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead, and you being dead in your trespasses, the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you of all your trespasses, who wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which is contrary to us. Let me tell you what that is. The book of law was written after the fall of man, and the book of law was a list of things that you cannot do. But because of the sinful nature and not the shedding of the blood of Jesus yet, for the blood of bulls and goats was not enough to, to conquer the sinful nature of man. It appeased the wrath of God, but it didn't quench the wrath of God. And because of that, in the, in the, uh, when, when Jesus shed his blood, he actually declared war on the handwriting requirements that were written against you. The entire law that mocked your inability. The entire law that actually was enshrouded by shame because of the impossibility that every time that I read the book of law, I was reminded that I'm unable to do what is required of me to do, that I cannot do it in my own strength. It reminded me of my weakness. Paul said in the presence of the law, sin in me revived and I died. The law itself accused me of my sinful nature. And because of that, Jesus says that when he died on the cross, it says concerning Jesus, that he took that handwriting of requirements that accused you day and night, that mocked your inability, that reminded you of your imperfection and your lack. And he took every accusation against you. He took it and he threw it away. And then it says that he, he took the handwriting requirements against you that was against you, which is contrary to us. He's taken it out of the way and he nailed it to the cross. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them and triumphant over them in it. I get the image of what's going on. You had a liar who's been warring against your life day and night, night and day. He's accused you of who you are not. He has plotted a war against you to make sure that you would never be able to receive the Father's love or know who you are. He created, he created moments and memories 
and film that would replay in your mind. Every time someone would say, God loves you, you would look at the story of your life and you would say, it's not possible. And he's been mounting this story against you like a highlight reel in your life. And so Jesus came and he took that, all accusations and he took them and nailed them to the cross. None of these are of any worth or value anymore. And then he said he took the liar and he made a public spectacle of him. He took the king of lies that was scrawny, weak, and unable to do what he's been doing. But he, he dressed himself as someone to be honored in your life. How many of you guys know we've been honoring the voice of the accuser for far too long? Giving him way too much access and power in our life. We, we've made him king. And because of that, he had a crown and he wore beautiful garments. And Jesus said, let me show you who you, he really is. And he took all the royal garments of influence and he stripped him completely naked. And he bound a noose around his neck and he walked him into the center of the city for everyone to see, where is your accuser now? Can you really honor a man who's been stripped completely bare, a liar, a warmongerer, who's been coming after your life? This is who he really is. Everybody look and see the barrenness of this liar that has been waging war against the world, the sons of God. And he makes a public spectacle of him and he arrests every demonic principality that has been uniquely um, assigned to the assignment of destroying your life. And he calls them all to arrest and say they are of no power now. This is what Jesus did on the battlefield of the cross. He disarmed the enemy entirely and he proved what he really is. But I wanna, I wanna make it really clear that, um, and I mean, this might be slightly controversial, but let me finish my thought. And um, I mean, what would a, a sermon by Jamie Dixon be without something controversial? Um, but when Jesus died, his death did not set you free. It broke the power of sin and death but it did not set you free because of the work of the cross was incomplete without the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It was the beginning of the victory and it broke the power of sin and death. But on the third day, the tombstone rolled away and a glorious man walked out of that tomb and he gave the person of the Holy Spirit to dwell inside of you that you would become a dwelling place for eternity with God. He rose again. He put the spirit of himself, the same spirit that was in Jesus, in you. And this is where freedom begins. Not what you've been delivered from, but what you've been delivered into is the glorious life in Jesus Christ. It says in Isaiah 61, Jesus proclaimed uh, that he has come to, pro to set captives free, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the joy for mourning, the garment of praise for spirit of heaviness, that they would be called the trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he would be glorified. The war is not on sin, it was on the lie that you were unworthy. The war was not on sin. I need to make this really clear. The sin is a distraction. 
Sin is a measurement. Sin is a symptom of a deeper reality going on. Every place where there's a foothold of sin is a lie that is yet to come under the lordship of Jesus Christ and come to the saving knowledge of truth over who you really are. There are many of us, many of us in this room that are bound in areas of sin and that sin is connected to us not knowing who we are. The appetite of sin is directly connected to our lack. And when we are living without purpose, we will find a fruit to eat from that is not the fruit that we've been called to eat from. So Jesus came, he broke the power of sin and death, but then he gave purpose, that you would become an oak of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that, you, that he would be glorified through your life, that you would become a bright and shining representation of my glory, that you would become a doorway of hope, that your life would become a prophetic testimony of what, was, what is available to all of creation, that they would come running to the light that's dawning from your life, that, that the lies that once warred against you that there is an answer and a solution. The Holy Spirit was given as a spirit of truth to dismantle the lies of the enemy against your life. When the father shed the blood of his only son, he said, you are worth it. When he put his spirit in you and gave you purpose, he said, you are able. When he gave you purpose and destiny, he said, you have a hope and a future. And it was all these things that waged war against every lie that's been ever spoken over your life. Jesus didn't just stop with sin. He went on to the core of who you are and said, you are not a slave, you are a beloved son. You are not a charity case. I've not been motivated by my shame or my disappointment in you. But my longing heart for you because you are worth it all. He didn't just deal with sin, he made you whole. He gave you a new life. And I, I know that there's stuff in our life where like I know this is still a process. And I know that like I've come to the saving knowledge of Jesus and there's still areas of my life that I'm still feeling shame and I'm still feeling vulnerability in and I'm still feeling incomplete in. But I want to just say this. If it's not beautiful, he's not done yet. Because setting captives free is literally the ministry and the assignment for which he came is to set you free and to give you a glorious hope and future. If it's not glorious, he's not done yet. If it's not beautiful, he's not done yet. If there's still ashes, beauty is coming. If there's not joy, then, then joy is coming. And he is on a war path with everything that's ever waged war on you to reveal truth. He's given himself, the person of the Holy Spirit, to confront every lie. And I know there are moments when things come to the surface and we go, ouch, this really sucks, this really hurts. But I need you to understand, if God's confronting a lie, let him confront the lie. He's not confronting you, he's confronting the liar. And I know you feel caught in the crosshairs, but there's hope in every confrontation. Is this making sense? That they would be called trees of righteousness, the plenty of the Lord, that he would be glorified. I love now, you know, Robert's not just like talking about his past. He's actually sitting on Mondays with Rick and Wendy doing the, doing uh, uh, Celebrate Recovery. Sitting with those who have been bound in things and are trying to get out to bring his testimony. Now use the, the, the valley that once felt like compromise has now become a doorway of hope through his life. Saying Jesus is available right now to reveal who you really are.
Why don't you guys stand with me?